to another episode of Connected Columbus. I'm Milena. And I'm Sariu. And we are here with luminary speaker, Kaylee Glenn. How are you doing, Kaylee? Hi, I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I'm a recent graduate from The Ohio State University. I studied neuroscience here, and now um, I run my nonprofit, The Day by Day Project, um, which has a mission of transport transforming dementia care through music. We heard that you started the Day by Day Project at 14. Could you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, of course. So it all kind of started when I was 10 years old and um, I was playing my violin for a memory care facility that my mom worked at. And I was doing that to practice my stage fright because I was 100% terrified of playing my violin in front of anyone and everyone. Um, But when I started to play my pieces, a woman in front of me actually started to vocalize. And I wasn't quite sure what was happening. But afterwards, a nurse approached me and she explained that that woman had been non-vocal for four months. And she was a former opera singer trying to sing along. And so that was when I was 10. And I just continued to like spend time with this woman. And then when I was 14 and kind of started my high school orchestra, um, I started the Day by Day Project by bringing my orchestra into different memory care facilities to kind of recreate that experience. And it opened my eyes to so much about the brain and music and ways that we can help people living with dementia. That's so beautiful. And I imagine that that's like such a formative experience and a memory that like will definitely guide the rest of your life. Right. And especially since you started at age 10, like that you you got inspired at age 10 um, and you carried your mission forward like that. That definitely represents a lot. And I mean, in college and in high school, like how did you um, I mean, you implemented the day by day project in your high school orchestra, correct? And right. Like, how did you kind of expand? Yeah. So um started as a student organization in high school. There was a program at my high school called SOS, which is Student Organized Service. And so I just kind of started the group there. And then um, throughout that, like when I was 14, 15, 16, 17, I was actually working really closely with a neurologist at the University of Cincinnati. She's the head of memory care there. And she taught me everything I knew about the brain and music and the ways that we can help. And meanwhile, like I was kind of a weird kid. Like I think my best friends all had dementia and like that is definitely a formative experience. Like I would spend like all my days after school like going to nursing homes and memory care facilities and I just really considered these people as like my friends. And so that says a lot about me. And then I think over time like I just got passionate and a little bit like frustrated and angry about like the system and how things are operated and working and when I um, graduated high school I was overseeing a few different high schools that were operating the program and then came to Ohio State and as a freshman started the organization here as like a student organized um, like club organization and the rest is history. I, when I graduated um, had the opportunity to move forward as a nonprofit and really make like this musical engagement program and silent disco experience like um, accessible everywhere and that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Oh my god wonderful. And so could you explain exactly what the memory disco is and what that entails? Sure so um, our memory disco is a multi-sensory musical experience designed to meet the needs of those that are living with dementia. It's a way for us to make music an accessible tool within dementia care and it was kind of born out of COVID. So When I was in high school and after I started our student organization here at The Ohio State University, 
For most of the time, we were using live musicians in combination with our neuroscience-based musical engagement program, which meant that we were training our volunteers to work hands-on with people living with dementia while we were kind of outsourcing live musicians to come in, and that was our whole experience. And then during COVID, we got the, the thumbs up to bring in our volunteers, but not our live musicians. And so we were kind of in this like tricky spot of me realizing that these were the people that kind of needed engagement most, and then not really knowing how we were going to go about that. So at my high school after prom, we had a silent disco. And a silent disco is an experience where an unlimited amount of headphones are connected to one music source so that everybody's listening to the same music at the same time through headphones. And I just had this like crazy idea that maybe this could be a temporary solution for like what we we're trying to do during COVID. We got sponsored by a silent disco manufacturer. And at our first event, everything changed. So what maybe what we saw before, which was like a lot of like feet tapping or, or some singing or some nodding and engagement, um, which was really inspirational, tr transformed to people standing up and dancing and, and kind of like having a 180 experience with music. And so that's our memory disco. It's the combination of our neuroscience-based musical engagement program and silent disco technology. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like, I mean, the effect must have been, um, you know, somewhat, you know, remarkable. Um, so like, how did you see, like, from your memory disco and the silent discos, um, what was the effect that you saw in dementia patients? Um, Absolutely. So right off the bat, um, kind of what we were, like in my daily life, the effect of the memory disco was that kind of by leaning on technology and having this like really intense sensory experience, um, it made my life a lot easier because I didn't need to bring live musicians in and I could lean on technology where we could bring the power of music into any place at any time by anyone, regardless of like someone's musical experience or anyone's access to live music. Um, in addition to that, when we saw the difference in how people were responding, in my head, I was like, why is this happening? Like, why is this different than live musician? Why is this different from like music being played out loud? And we figured out that there's two main reasons. The first is attention. So when a person is diagnosed with dementia, their attention span gets pretty small, which limits their ability to engage with any kind of programming. But the headphones kind of engage 100% of whatever attention span they had, maximizing the power of music on the brain. And then second, the headphones volume each adjust independently so that everybody's unique hearing needs were met, which was also a limiting factor of engagement. And that's why we saw such a more intense response to the music and what we were doing. Um, and then lastly, our third A we like to call is accessibility. Like how I said before, technology made my life a lot easier. Um, I could just see how this would open up doors to dementia care by um, allowing care partners to use music in their daily lives and not necessarily have to outsource it as an hourly activity, but instead like kind of use it music as a tool. And so that's what the day by day project does now is we're trying to make our memory disco accessible everywhere through our memory disco package and also just spread the word that music can and should be used as a tool. And there's a lot of cool science behind that in the brain. Yeah, I mean, that's actually so awesome. <laughs> like, I have always thought that music had such a powerful impact on people. And I've seen, like, YouTube videos and, like, uh, videos on, like, TikTok and stuff like that of dementia patients listening to music and how that changed their lives. And I can assume um, when it is a silent disco and they're all connected to the same audio source that even though they're listening to the same music, there has to be some type of differential outcome on each of the people because obviously everybody's been dealing with the same level of dementia or maybe they have different responses to the music. 
Um, could you describe maybe some of the different responses that you've observed in the patients? Yeah, of course. So I think first and foremost, it's good to like lay a good foundation of why music is so powerful. Um, so all of our emotional memories are stored rhythmically in our brain. And this is why when like we're in a car and a song comes on, it can kind of take us right back to a different time and place where all of these emotions and memories start flooding in. Um, and we call these musical memories. They're actually encoded differently than other memories in the brain and stored differently as well. So the coolest thing about these memories, though, is that they're preserved throughout dementia. So that part of the brain is actually untouched by the disease. And so that means in a lot of people, um, the ability to connect with those memories is one of the last things to go. So even when like their movement or cognition and language decline, most oftentimes they'll always be able to connect with some of those memories and the joyful feelings that come along with those memories. And so in that sense, everyone's response is different based on their own like um, background with music. Like we've seen some former composers, like one is an amazing story. His name is Bruce. He's, he was so far along in his disease progress that he had trouble talking or moving or really interacting with his environment. But when we played Frank Sinatra, he would stand up and like start conducting and feeling wow. like music throughout his whole body. And like Gosh. we have also seen like, but then there's some songs that work for everyone. Like You Are My Sunshine is such a classic that so many people have memories tied to. And so I like to just think of myself as like, the best kind of DJ where we can kind of put these moments in the hands of people that maybe don't usually have them. And more than anything else, um, like you said, how everyone's responding to something differently because everybody's wearing headphones that are listening to the same music at the same time. It's also a great opportunity to promote like community building and connecting like family members by playing like their old wedding song or, um, bringing grandkids into the mix or like even what we do with students is like we're bringing 20 25 students every Saturday to a memory care facility to dance with people that have dementia I've been doing this for so long that it seems normal but when I say that it like takes me back sometimes mm -hmm. to be like that is crazy mm -hmm. yeah I can imagine starting a nonprofit at such a young age um that it must not have all been smooth and um there must have been trial and tribulations along the way what are some challenges that you've had to overcome yeah, of course. That's a really great question. It's hard because in so many ways, I feel like the world has just conspired to help me on this mission. Like this That's wasn't nice. necessarily like my plan from the beginning, right? It kind of did just fall into place. And there's a lot of work and a lot of commitment, a lot of passion and a great team of people behind everything that we've done. But in somewhat of like a supernatural way it feels like what we're supposed to be what we're doing is exactly what we're supposed to be doing and is making a big impact in the community and I think we've seen that um in how it's kind of grown but I mean challenges paperwork um imposter <laughs> syndrome um I think as a leader like I'm learning every single day of like the best way to try and um share like my vision or my plans or listen to other people and so there's a lot of like I think personal growth that I've learned from this experience, um, taxes. <laughs> yeah. And like, honestly, I think you've grown along with your nonprofit. Like you started it since you were 10 and I think you and uh, as well as your nonprofit have seen such growth and like, you know, we're all like we, you've seen trials and tribulations and that just shows the dedication that you have towards this project. And I mean, um, people that, people that are, are coming to Luminary, and you better come to Luminary March 2nd, um, they will definitely see the 
resemblance and like the the hardships that you've had to overcome and like your dedication to your project it's it's so beautiful um and so i think um what do you want to take what do you want listeners that are coming to luminary or will watch your talk what do you want them to take away from your experience i think my goal um would be for everyone to be able to clearly see a way and see why music needs to be an accessible part of dementia care and see a way for that to happen and like kind of see this vision with me alongside me and our team and also kind of I don't know maybe be inspired to sign up for um, our Ohio State organization here and like go do these memory discos every week and I think like if someone has had a history with dementia, I hope that they see a more hopeful future or a way for problems to be improved. Yeah. yeah. And um, can you share any upcoming projects or anything that you're working on? Um, I know that medical care is always evolving. And how do you see the history of dementia care evolving with your project? Yeah, of course. Um, so first is we're really trying to spread the message of this memory disco tool and like reframe music as a tool for dementia care. And we're doing that in a variety of ways through um, opening up different student organizations at different universities and kind of expanding in that way, um, sharing our memory disco package, uh, selling it as well as like donating it to lower income communities that, that really do need more programming and kind of securing grants from the Columbus foundation and other amazing organizations to help us do that. Um, and then lastly is like outreach, like this, opportunity with TEDx to kind of share what we're doing and what we're working on um, is a huge part of our mission. Yeah. Thank you so much um, for coming on the podcast with us. We, we loved hearing you sharing your story and thank you. Just thank you. Just thank you <laughs> yeah. for being Thank you so much us. for having me. This, this is amazing. Is, yeah. This is definitely a project that I obviously can see taking such um, a huge role. But before you go, where can listeners find more information about your nonprofit and what you're doing? Yeah, of course. So our website is www.daybydayproject.org. Um, and so you can see what we're up to and what we're doing there, as well as um, our Instagram is Day by Day Project and our TikTok is Day by Day Project. And so we try and post fun, engaging dancing videos pretty often. Well, once again, thank you so much for sitting here with us. And thank you. Listen to Kaylee Glenn and our lovely eight other speakers on March 2nd um, in Marshawn Auditorium, or you can buy tickets online to watch it live streamed um, off our Instagram and off our website. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Connected Columbus. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on Instagram at TEDxOhioStateU.